first scripture this morning is 2 Samuel 22, 14 to 17. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. The second reading is 2 Samuel 23, 13 to 17. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Faith Westwood. For all of those who are on site as well as those who are online. Isn't it good to be back together this week? But thank you so much for tuning in last weekend in those Arctic temperatures. We had that pocket sermon ready just in case. So the message for last week will become the new pocket sermon, okay? But we're in the midst of a sermon series, Let It Flow. This is a narrative series that's taking us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We are journeying with God's people who are thirsting for water and righteousness. And so today we actually get to claim two passages with David relating to water. First, as David was delivered from his enemies, he gave thanks to God. So we think about where in our lives do we need to give thanks to God? And second, David longed for water, and then he refused it and poured it out before the Lord. So where in our lives do we need to repent and pour it out to God? Through this new series, you and I are remembering the past, embracing the present, and leaning into the future. We are adopting that phrase, let it flow, as we trust God to provide for our needs and lead us to that preferred future that God has for us. So in that spirit, would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, open our ears that we may hear your word. Open our eyes that we may see your glory in our midst. And open our hearts that we might know your spirit's presence with us in these moments. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The time is always right to do what is right. Those wise words are spoken by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., as I was meditating on some of his more memorable quotes this past week, and since we collected the human relations offering today, it seemed appropriate for us to continue to remember his work on behalf of human rights and to remember again the time is always right to do what is right. Now, when you think about our faith ancestors from the Old Testament, who comes to your mind when you think about righteousness? My guess is that many of you would choose David, the one who defeated the giant Goliath. He became king. 
Yes, David was known for being righteous, and yet he was also very human. His faith journey was filled with ups and downs, good choices and not-so-good choices. Certainly, he's one of the most relatable characters in the Bible. Now, today we heard several verses from David's Song of Praise. Hymns of praise and thanksgiving were often found at major stages in Israel's history. David's hymn celebrates God's miraculous deliverance of David. And there are many parallels between this song of praise and Psalm 18. As we heard in our call to worship today from 2 Samuel 22, praise is offered to the Lord, who is David's rock, fortress, and deliverer, his shield and the horn of his salvation, his stronghold, his refuge, and his savior. These images of the Lord are strong and powerful, aren't they? And they also convey notions of military power. And then in the later verses that were just read, David celebrates his experience of God. In fact, he describes a theophany, that is, a manifestation of God who responded to David's pleas for help. God delivered David time and time again from his enemies. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 17, we hear David describe how God reached down from on high, took hold of me, and drew me out of the deep waters. Isn't that a beautiful image? The very hand of God rescued David, who throughout all of his ups and downs remained faithful to God. David recognized also that, that the Lord is a God of justice who rewards faithfulness with deliverance. Now, of course, we know that David had so many moments of human weakness. And yet he always trusted in God and relied on that important relationship in his life. I admire the ways that even to this day we connect with David's songs of praise and thanksgiving, whether they are written within history books of the Bible or especially in the Psalms. Scholar Walter Brueggemann reminds us in his commentary, the good news is that the desperate prayers of Israel evoke the God of Israel to powerful intervention. God comes with, with power and with fierceness to intervene on behalf of the people that he loves. And in our passage, God delivers because God has delight in David. Now, the language from David's Song of Prayer is actually reminiscent of the Exodus lyrics as recorded in Exodus 15 and Psalm 114. This kind of language is also used in Christian tradition, remembering when Jesus quieted the waters. And if you want to look deeper into that, think about Mark 6. Brueggemann says, and I quote, From Exodus to Jesus, the powerful imaginative language of intervention and rescue witnesses to the reality of chaos and bears testimony to the great power of Yahweh, who tames the waters and defeats chaos. Yes. And God's people never have to be afraid to speak of chaos and to name that chaos. David and Israel speak fully about this, and yet they also speak boldly and confidently about the rescue because David and the people Israel trust that Yahweh is more powerful than death and chaos. Amen? Amen? 
stay with me. Today, the first takeaway for us is that our relationship with God makes a big difference in our lives. Israel often reminisced about what God had done on their behalf, and you and I need to do the same. In fact, I invite you to think about a time in your life when you felt overwhelmed. For some of you, maybe that was this past week, right? Overwhelmed by the snow upon snow upon snow. The reality is, though, we have been overwhelmed and in that place because of transitions, because of relationship challenges, because of financial woes, because of grief and sorrow, and even because of spiritual crises. And when you have been in those overwhelming situations, maybe you felt like David and you felt like you were drowning. So I want you to remember that when God reached down from on high and reached down and drew you from those deep waters. And then I want you to remember when you're able to catch your breath again, I want you to imagine the words that you would use to describe the God who rescued you. Perhaps you would use the same words as David, recognizing that God is your rock and your deliverer, your salvation and your stronghold. And continuing this, I, I want to challenge you this week to reflect on this moment when you were drawn from the deep waters. And I want to invite you to write a prayer or write even a song of thanksgiving, giving thanks for God's deliverance in your life. Now, as we continue to reflect on David's journey, we now turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, scholars agree that this second passage is actually in a previous time in history, in David's history. So I know it's at the end of 2 Samuel, and yet it's a previous memory. In fact, it's, it's believed to be very early on in David's life. This remembrance was lifted up as one, is, one of David's finest moments. With God's help, he defeated giants. He accomplished so many military conquests. And yet, it was this vulnerable moment that was lifted up above others. So let's enter into that moment. It was harvest season. It was a warm season. Imagine David sweating in that harvest heat, in his military duties. And imagine David mumbling to himself, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It held such a special place in his mind and heart and spirit. The place of his birth, the place of his upbringing. And oh, the water from that well tasted so good. So what happens next? Three soldiers hear of David's longing for that water from Bethlehem. And so they sneak past the Philistine sentries. They boldly go to Bethlehem to get David a jug of water. And when they return with that jug of water, David can hardly believe his eyes. And as David is thinking about this, he realizes that this water could have cost human lives. So it became as blood to David. It had to be ceremonially emptied upon the ground. That is why he said, far be it from me, Lord, to do this. 
Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? Now, we might be tempted to see David's actions as ungracious, and yet that couldn't be farther from the truth. To drink that water would have been a violation of something holy. David felt remorseful and penitent for even wanting that water and saying out loud, so pouring it out was an act for him of repentance. If we look at this passage from a modern lens, the story might lose its significance. David's men revered him. That's why they risked their lives. They would have done anything for David. He didn't command them to go and get him a drink of water from Bethlehem. They acted not out of duty, but out of respect. And when David poured out that water, it would have endeared his men to him as he demonstrated genuine concern for them. For David, pouring out that water was giving opportunity for him to do the right thing. It was truly a, a, a very vulnerable human moment that he would remember throughout his journey. And our faith ancestor historians who would write his story remembered it too. The second takeaway for us today is about doing the right thing and recognizing the value of it. Spiritually speaking, we too can reflect on what it means to pour it out. There are moments that we need to remember those things that separate us from God, and we call that sin. We might need to pour it out in confession and repentance. Other times, we may need to pour it out in community, recognizing that as Christians, we are better together. In faith community, we can address our our personal pains and sorrows. And yet we can also address the social ills that disturb the harmony of our community. And yet another way that we claim this inspiring story is to allow these details to point us forward in the Bible and in history. As David was thinking about Bethlehem and what it meant to him, of course, Bethlehem holds a very special place in the hearts of Christians. In the town of David, our Lord and Savior was born. And as David sings praise to God, we can remember another more serious prayer song of David, Psalm 22, which includes verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Jesus himself would quote Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, too, was poured out like water, suffering on the cross. But in addition, you and I can deeply reflect on our faith and those moments when we are thirsting, like David, for the nostalgia of the past and to embrace exactly what we need in the present moment. The truth is that you and I are human, (laughs) We cannot help but say things like, I wish things were like they were before. We're especially good at this in the church. We say things like, I remember when. We've never done things like that before. 
The truth is our minds claim either the best memories or the worst ones because the memories of the past are often better than those of the present, right? I remember when the church. There's nothing wrong with these statements and conversations. These statements ground us in a place of comfort and strength. In fact, the participants of the strategic planning retreat this weekend reflected much on on their own statements. I remember when. Reverend Bruce Emmert, who's going to come up in a few moments, he heard this time and time again this past weekend. But when we are thirsting for nostalgia and embracing exactly what we need in the present moment, we remember that for David it was water, literal drink of water. And for you and I, it is the living water of Christ to fill us. Yet instead of pouring it out as a drink offering, you and I need to allow that living water to fill us to overflowing. When we choose to do so, that living water gives us strength and courage to face the future unafraid. That living water inspires us to be our best selves. That living water challenges us to live in community with one another. The living water reminds us of that greatest commandment to love God and to love neighbor. That living water reminds us that as the snow piles up and up and up, that we have good neighbors to help us out. And most importantly, that living water continually invites us to let it flow in our lives. The time is always right to do what is right. We learn this from our faith ancestors, from Jesus, and from other modern-day prophets. So as we journey together, and in those moments when we may fail to do what is right, may we pour it out in repentance, and may we let it flow.